This is the Industrial IoT Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. We have seen the emergence of what I call modern Internet of Things. It's really the connectivity piece and the data aggregation piece that is usually missing in the infrastructure right now in the market. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Market Scale IoT Podcast. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the show. I'm really excited about this episode. We've got a lot of great content lined up for you. First off, we're going to be talking to Brown Pelican Wi-Fi, who's actually at Daytona International Speedway this weekend, providing Wi-Fi for one of the teams there in one of the truck races. But they're also going to talk about providing Wi-Fi on a large scale for big events and for remote areas and that sort of thing. So they specialize in providing Wi-Fi for unique areas. So it's going to be a really awesome conversation. I can't wait to dive into it. That's with Brown Pelican Wi-Fi. Obviously, they are there for the Daytona 500, so it's pretty exciting stuff getting to interview some people that are there at one of the bigger sporting events in the world. Then in the second feature of the day, I'm going to be having a conversation with our contributor here at MarketScale for IoT, John Bayer, and he's going to explain 5G technology and what's going on and what some of the hangups are and why people are so excited about the future of this technology. So that is also going to be an interesting conversation because when it comes to 5G, it's obviously very expensive, as John is going to explain, uh, to lay the groundwork for that. Uh, and so there are some concerns moving forward about the future of this technology and the long-term viability of setting it up. So... We're going to have a great conversation about that. That is with John Bear in our second feature of the day. But without further ado, let's dive into our first conversation, our first feature of the show, and that is with Brown Pelican Wi-Fi coming up next here on the Market Skill IoT Podcast. All right, joining me now on the podcast is Gwen Bueller, the VP of Marketing for Brown Pelican, Mary Beth Hall, who is the CEO, and Ken Notech, the VP of Technology. Guys, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast today. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. I'm really excited to get to talk to you guys a little bit more about what Brown Pelican does. But just to intro everybody into what you're doing this week, you were out at Daytona this week. Is that correct? That's right. We're at the Daytona 500 in um, Daytona Beach, Florida. That is really exciting. So what what are you going to be doing out at Daytona this weekend? Uh, we'll be providing Wi-Fi for one of the teams for the truck series race tomorrow. Um, and while we're, while we're providing Wi-Fi for that team, it's Brennan Poole's number 30 truck. We're a sponsor of his truck. And while we're there, we're going to be also talking to potential Wi-Fi sponsors for hotspots in fan zones and in the grandstand, and in the infield. And we'll also be talking to the teams, the other teams, about providing secure networks while they're on site at at all the NASCAR races for this season. That's really exciting. Now, you're able to, through this Wi-Fi that you you are able to provide, collect some analytic data as well, right? And that can really help um, with understanding uh, some of the uh, some of the data that goes on at, at larger scale events like this, is that right? That's exactly right, Tyler. Uh, we'll be doing two different demonstrations. One for the sponsors will be geared around the analytics that we can gather about the users who are on the network, and we can capture things like 
demographics of the users, what operating system they're using. We can look at the devices that they're using. We can track things like length of time on the network. Uh, mm -hmm. We can even go as far as to track websites that were visited while they're on connected to the network. So it really gives a sponsor a great ROI potential. Um, and that's really what sponsors are interested in. They want to, you know, obviously attract the right users, but then they want to be able to do remarketing. And the analytics system that we'll be showing and using now for data capture and analysis, and then also uh, remarketing campaign, instant remarketing through the system. And then the other piece that we'll be showing is more geared to the teams uh, using a product developed by Samsung called Samsung Axis, we'll be able to create one network that uses a protocol called micro-segmentation that allows us to literally create individual Wi-Fi bubbles for each team, but all on a single network. And those bubbles, kind of I'm doing air quotes, <laughs> bubbles are actually was able to take the bubble with them anywhere on the track where the network wow. is present. Yeah, so if they're, you know, in a VIP area, they log in and then they go to the grandstand, they'll still have the same Wi-Fi network that that that, you know, basically moves around with them. It's very high security on the network and the teams as we understand it are really in need of that you know, that type of connectivity just to, to, to function. Absolutely. And I think this is an area that uh, a, a lot of sports fans don't normally think of, or even people that go to large scale events don't normally think of what's going on behind the scenes that allows the event to happen. And so it's really exciting just to get to dive into this a little bit deeper with you guys. Uh, and, and I'm curious to hear from uh, maybe, maybe Ken, this is a question maybe for you. Sure. How are how are you able to uh, secure uh, networks like this? Because I, I think obviously anytime you're talking about competitions, you're talking about people that would love to know what another team is doing or something along those lines. So how uh, how secure are uh, the bubbles and how secure are these networks to make sure that uh, nobody is able to tamper with them? Well, the cool thing is they're absolutely 100% secure because everyone has their own dynamic VLAN they're going to live on. So once they have their secure passphrase, they put that in the splash page and it dynamically puts them into their own VLAN. So they can actually see the resources, their printers, all their gear in their truck while they can't see anyone else's. No one else can get in on theirs while all sharing the same SSID everywhere. Interesting. Okay. So, uh, but sporting events isn't all that Brown Pelican does. And, and I was at a gigantic convention over in Europe last week and uh, I was at a massive convention center and there was Wi-Fi throughout it. And I was just kind of amazed that there was able to be Wi-Fi at an event like this. And that's really uh, a lot of what you guys do is provide Wi-Fi for a various different events. So how is it different to provide Wi-Fi for, let's say, a gigantic convention center as it is for what you're doing this weekend out at Daytona 500? How are those different challenges? Well, the different challenges is whenever you're outdoors and you have a big, large outdoor area, you're going to have to really be creative on how you're going to get the, the pipe to the individual area. So we'll use point-to-multi-point microwave shots, point-to-point -point shots, utilize any fiber we get our hands on. Um, while indoors, there's a lot more infrastructure to rely on. So it's just another set of gear. It's the same Wi-Fi, same practices, but more point-to-point -point and multi-point shots to worry about. 
when you're doing the outdoor events. Absolutely. So it, when you have a an event like at a convention center or something along those lines, are there different challenges presented in that where there are, let's say, a lot of different halls and so you have to get Wi-Fi into each individual hall? Is that is that a different type of a challenge than one when you're outdoors or something along those lines? Um, I don't think it's much of a different challenge as far as putting deploying our gear, but it is a challenge in the convention center because you'll have a lot more rogue devices. Um, inside that building, you'll have... Um, you may have vendors showing up with MiFi's, their own little Soho routers, and those could be really disruptive. So you have to look, look out for those, make sure you have channel management down, and make sure you find those guys who can really pollute the airwaves and just don't not use their own. Right, right. Absolutely. I was looking on your website just at your list of clients and you have just some impressive people that you've worked with from, you know, everyone from ESPN to the NFL to Facebook. Um, tell us about some of the other types of events maybe that we haven't mentioned yet uh, that Brown Pelican has provided Wi-Fi for and how you guys have gone about doing that. I mean, we do all different kinds of events. So sometimes we'll go in just to make sure a real important aspect of an event has a network connectivity it needs like um, virtual reality headsets, you know, sometimes we'll go to a venue and there'll be a network there and it could be a good system, but maybe it will be left on auto channelization, auto everything. And you really need to make sure it's going to be locked down. No channels are going to shift to support like a live stream or VR headset demo. So a lot of times we go in just to specialize in one aspect. Sometimes we go in, we do everything. Um, and it's really important that we bring gear that can be super nimble because things change on the fly in events all the time. So we got to be able to carve out VLANs like nothing, like within seconds and not weeks. Um, big traffic shape. Just make sure you bring the right gear that could do that kind of stuff fast. I was just going to say, like, one of our kind of standard operating procedures is to always have an engineer on site. And to Ken's point, the, the network is organic. It's a dynamic, it's a dynamic environment that changes. And we have to be very on top of it. So we, we monitor a dashboard. We make any changes on the fly that need to be made to make sure that the network is stable. We even do things like if it's a large group of people, let's say at, in a general session and the rest of the attendees might just be mulling around, but most space, we can actually change the dynamic of the network to make sure that the general session has the highest available amount of connectivity. And then when the people leave the general session room, we can kind of spread it out around the whole venue. So it's important. It's, you know, again, it's, it's almost like an orchestration when you're managing a Wi-Fi network. It's got to be done in real time. We don't take the approach of, you know, plug it in and leave and hope for the best that's how we work. We are always there managing everything while it's going on. And the other thing I wanted to mention, when kinds of Wi-Fi we provide outdoors, it really, in terms of, you know, where do you even get the connectivity? The, where, how do you even get on the internet? Um, we've been using satellite technology in remote locations in places like the desert of California desert uh, on top of mountains in, you know, pastures and fields in parks, places that have zero connectivity. We bring in a satellite solution using military grade equipment that allows us to get people connected in the most remote of places. 
and the interesting. We're seeing more and more of that. You know, brands want to do things that are different and unique. They don't always want to be in a convention center or in a hotel. We see that, you know, companies that want, really want to engage their audiences are going to unique places. And we've got to be prepared. Yeah, absolutely. I find that absolutely fascinating, the satellite bandwidth Wi-Fi and some of the other things that you're able to do. Because you're right, we live in an increasingly connected world. And so solutions like what you're able to provide are increasingly not just necessary, but mandatory for events um, to be able to pull off what people want to be able to do. Um, and so I, I find that uh, your ability to troubleshoot and and things along those lines are, are absolutely massive in, in what you're able to do. Um, and so far, we've talked a lot about temporary uh, Wi-Fi solutions, but you also prov- provide permanent Wi-Fi uh, at certain locations. Is that right, too? That is, yeah. We target venues that are typically used for events. Uh, some of the venues where we have a permanent solution are what I would call a mixed-use venue. So, for instance, um, the, the cruise ship terminal in San Francisco, it's you know, nine, most of the time there's about 80 cruise ships that come in there every year, but in between cruise ships, they use this beautiful building, which is absolutely stunning as an event space. So we've installed a permanent network. Every time an event occurs, we go in and we manage it, but the equipment is permanently installed. It's configured for the location specific to that venue. And we have about five or six different venues in the Bay area right now. And we're constantly looking, but it really makes a difference because you know, the network is fine tuned just for that space. You know, you know, it's going to work. Customers actually end up saving a little money because we don't have to go in days in advance and set up a network. All we do is walk in on the day of the event and, you know, turn it on. So clients love it. They know they're getting secure Wi-Fi. They know they're getting something that, you know, again, it's been tuned for that location. And it's, it's been working out really well. That's really awesome. And uh, I, 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 I'm fascinated by what you guys do because it's so much behind the scenes, but so necessary now, as I was mentioning earlier, just in our increasingly connected world of events and everything along those lines. Uh, you always need reliable Wi-Fi. And so you guys are doing uh, some great stuff. And I wish you uh, all the best this weekend at Daytona. And we'll have to catch up again soon to hear how that goes and uh, to get more of the details on how you were able to provide Wi-Fi for a team out there at, uh, D- at Daytona. I'm really excited to hear more about that. Thank you. Good to talk about it. So it'll be interesting. Uh, today we'll be finding a lot more out, and tomorrow's the day of the race. So Brennan Pool, number 30 truck, go for it. <laughs> awesome. Well, that is Mary Beth Hall, the CEO of Brown Pelican Wi-Fi, along with Ken Notek, the VP of Technology, and Gwen Bueller, the VP of Marketing, all for Brown Pelican Wi-Fi. Guys, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks, Tyler. Thank you. Thanks, Tyler. Thank you so much to Mary Beth and the team there at Brown Pelican for joining us on the show today. We certainly appreciate them giving us a little bit of their time while they're out there at the Daytona International Speedway. Really exciting time for them and really exciting time for that gigantic event. And so uh, it's really always awesome to get that background look at what goes on and how teams are able to communicate the way they are. Uh, I was really excited to get a chance to talk to them and to learn a little bit more about what they do with Wi-Fi. All right, coming up next is my conversation with our contributor here at MarketScale for IoT, John Baer. 
really smart guy, really, really uh, invested in the IoT community, and he's going to break down 5G technology. So he's going to explain what's good about it, why you should be excited about it, but also what are the barriers for it happening here in the United States, and also a bit of a sticky situation when it comes to politics that is also uh, kind of muddying the waters a little bit. So it's a really interesting conversation we're going to have coming up next here on the Market Scale IoT Podcast. Right, joining me now in the Market Scale studio is John Baer. He's one of our contributors here at Market Scale. We're going to talk a little bit about 5G technology. John, thank you so much for joining me in the studio today, man. Hey, thanks, Tyler. I've been looking forward to getting on a podcast for a long time here, so uh, this should be fun. I'm pretty excited about it. And you're a really knowledgeable guy when it comes to IoT. You've really dove in and kind of gotten into that world quite a bit. Um, and so today we are talking about 5G technology, which... Um, you know, it started 3G, 4G, now we're up to 5G. And to me, I don't know a ton about it. So let's just start off by talking about what does 5G technology do and how does it improve over what has existed for a long time as 4G? Absolutely. So uh, when we're talking about 5G, uh, really the best way to uh, talk about 5G is as an array of networking tech to connect everything. Okay. Um, so, you know, that's going to help us to not only enable faster connection speeds, so we're talking, you know, better cell connections, better download speeds if you're on mobile, uh, you know, if you don't have a chance to hook into a Wi-Fi. Uh, but also we're going to be able to talk about uh, enabling some of this really cool new technology that's going to be coming out in the next decade. So if we're talking about IoT uh, technologies like smart city technology, mm -hmm. uh, if we're talking about like automated cars, self-driving cars, um, remote surgery, industrial robots for manufacturing processes, uh, smart drones, um, you know, virtual reality, augmented reality. Really, the list goes on and on. And so uh, it's really exciting technology. Um, you know, a really classic question with 5G is like exactly how you mentioned it. Uh, if we're talking the difference between 3G, 4G, and now 5G, it's just all about making it faster mm -hmm. and more accessible for everybody. Um, 5G, if uh, I remember correctly, is expected initially to deliver 1 to 1.4 gigabits per second connection speeds, which is just ludicrously faster than what 4G can deliver. Wow. Uh, we're talking 20 times initially faster, and eventually, if we can optimize it, probably more like 100 times faster than 4G. Wow, that is absolutely insane. So we're talking about a network that's being built that then can... Uh, be connected to by a lot of different things, then allowing everything in our lives to basically be connected then, right? Like, so everything from cars to, uh, like you mentioned, robots and that sort of thing. Um, that to me is absolutely unbelievable. Now, who is who is building these networks, I suppose? Because when I think of 4G, I think of it like through my phone in a sense, right? So I have T-Mobile as my uh, cell carrier. So I have 4G through T-Mobile, but uh, if, if I were driving, who, how, what is my car connecting to if it's connecting to 5G? See, it's a really good question. When we're talking about 5G, it's important we make the distinction between like 5G carriers. So we're going to be talking about like our cell phone companies, you know, mm -hmm. AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile. They're all delivering infrastructures right now that allows us to have like 5G technologies in our phones and the devices that we're using every day as consumers. Um, but the people who are really working to enable this are different companies. Um, don't get me wrong, AT&T and uh, Verizon are doing some work on this, but really when we're talking about the infrastructure stuff in America, we're talking about like Intel, Cisco, Qualcomm. Um, out of uh, Korea, we're talking about Samsung. And then of course in China, we're talking about Huawei. 
which is uh, obviously kind of a sticky point. Maybe we'll come back to here in a second. So what, what barriers exist right now to making this a reality? Because if, if, if it's available um, or we at least have the technology, why isn't it as widespread maybe as, as you would think at this point? Well, in truth, the barrier is cash, 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 cash. It is incredibly expensive to deliver 5G technology. Um, it's part of the reason why the jump from 4G to 5G has taken such a long time. Um, in order to be able to enable 5G, we're talking about installing tons of last mile fiber optic cables. We're talking about uh, installing transmitters in such a dense network that literally every couple of, or well, really every dozen yards or so, we could be having other transmitters to help deliver this connectivity. Um, if I remember correctly, we're talking about a denser infrastructure of maybe five times more dense in terms of how far apart these transmitters are spread. Um, and it's really, it's important that we have this because otherwise we won't be able to deliver seamless connections. Um, the other thing about 5G that's kind of interesting is that it will be integrated into existing 3G and 4G networks. So it's, we're not actually talking about just like an entirely separate independent network. It's going to kind of piggyback off of existing infrastructure. And so there's a lot of technology that needs to go into and a lot of build out that needs to go into making that happen in a seamless way. That's interesting. Okay, so uh, a lot of build-out needs to happen, a lot of costs associated with this. Uh, what are some concerns that people have as far as migrating into 5G technology? Are there any concerns that people have that um, maybe holding them back from fully investing themselves in it? Yeah, absolutely. So there's really going to be two vectors to this. And so let's first off talk about security. Um, definitely with all of these new transmitters and all these new devices that are going to be connected into this network, actually according to a McKinsey study, uh, we're talking about maybe one million connections. So one million different types of like connected devices or connections between devices per square kilometer when we enable 5G and fully optimize it. Um, that opens up a lot of different pivot points in terms of cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. um, lots of vulnerabilities in the network. Um, a Swiss team actually concluded that uh, at the moment, we don't have a lot of the infrastructure built out to be able to stop these pivot points from happening. Malicious hackers could get in and leverage these vulnerabilities to do all sorts of crazy stuff. But uh, also, on the other hand, we have a lot of technology that we can use to solve this. Um, cryptography is becoming more sophisticated all the time. Blockchain technology uh, with a decentralized security network could be a really good solution for this problem. Um, the other thing is really the societal question. Uh, you know, when we talk about uh, 5G network, you know, it's really easy to be talking about smart cities, automated cars, but uh, you know, we really still have a problem even in America and certainly around the world about uh, delivering this level of connectivity to uh, rural and suburban areas. Um, you know, on this podcast before, we've had conversations with folks who are working in the agriculture business, and they're trying to enable this technology for uh, farmers so that they can better deliver crops and have better yields. Um, the societal cost is going to be in places like Alaska, in the so-called third world, where we don't have this infrastructure built out. I mean, in Alaska, we're talking about, uh, you know, a state that we're still delivering Wi-Fi via satellite dishes. Wow. For the most part. Yeah. That's really interesting. 
So there are some challenges there as far as... Uh, is, is there a concern then that this creates a big gap between wealthier communities and poorer communities that would then exist if a wealthier community has 5G, so they've got fewer car crashes and there's a higher standard of living at that point, whereas um, poorer communities or more rural communities, like you mentioned, uh, wouldn't have this technology and thus falls behind, and then there's this gap that gets created. Yeah, I really couldn't put it any better myself. Um, you know, there is a serious concern that it will create larger inequalities between people, just depending on where you live, which isn't exactly fair, right? Right. Um, it's definitely one of the big challenges with delivering 5G technology, delivering smart technology, the Internet of Things. Um, but uh, it's a challenge that we need to face, and we need to really like face up to. Um, you know, the promise of this technology is that everybody should be able to have a better life because of it. And uh, so hopefully um, these companies that are working so hard towards delivering this technology can find a way to bring everybody along with it. Now, you mentioned earlier that Huawei is a part of this and they are a Chinese company. And that, that has caused some people to be nervous that they are investing so much into this technology that would then be in American cities and that sort of thing. Is that a concern that a lot of people have? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Uh, if you've been reading the news recently, particularly with the Gold War going on between United States and with China, mm-hmm. um, it's definitely a huge concern. So if you just kind of take a look at the raw numbers just spend out of America and out of China, um, Huawei is responsible for over $330 million of 5G infrastructure, whereas the United States companies that are participating in this endeavor are only responsible for $30 million. Wow. Uh, Huawei is definitely delivering the most infrastructure worldwide to be able to enable these 5G technologies. Now, the problem with this, of course, is that uh, lots of folks are a little bit concerned with the background of Huawei, that uh, the state of China might have some, you know, security and, uh, you know, potentially some, uh, like, you know, spy stuff going on in the back end of these tools. Right. Um, You know, it's definitely a concern. And uh, at least for somebody who's been keeping up with a lot of articles that have been coming out from what I believe to be very credible sources, uh, it's a legitimate concern. Um, You know, it's uh, it's definitely something that we should continue to talk about. I think it's very telling that most developed uh, countries are talking about this as a huge concern. Um, you know, the, I really don't think everybody would be throwing up a stink unless there was something to talk about. Right. Uh, but that being said, you know, that's uh, definitely going to be something that we're just going to have to keep an eye on and watch develop over time. I'm excited to watch it develop because it's definitely going to be interesting and uh, it has everything that you want, right? The technological advances, uh, global political intrigue. Uh, I'm hooked. So this is a story definitely worth watching. So, John, thank you so much for joining me in the studio today and for uh, educating us a little bit more on uh, 5G and what the future looks like. Hey, my pleasure, Tyler. I'm looking forward to doing it again sometime. Thank you to John Bear for joining me for that segment. Thank you also to the Brown Pelican team for joining me earlier in the show. That is all we have time for for this week's episode of the Market Scale IoT Podcast. Thank you all so much for joining me for this episode of the show. As always, we have a lot more content just like this over at the Market Scale IoT industry page. So if you go to marketscale.com, click on industries and scroll down to IoT, there you'll be able to find a lot more stuff just like this. Written content, videos, podcasts, all of that good stuff there on that page. Thank you again so much for joining us for this episode of the show. We will be back soon with another episode of the IoT Podcast, but until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening.